Sustainability is one of the most pressing issues facing contemporary fashion. This is particularly true for emerging designers who hold the demands and opportunities of sustainable practice in especially sharp focus. How is the innovative work of these pioneering young designers being celebrated? Hello, and welcome to the Critical Fashion Studies podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Harriet Richards. I'm a lecturer in the School of Fashion and Textiles at RMIT University and co-founder of the Critical Fashion Studies Research Group. Today, I'm talking to Josephine Root, the new senior curator at the National Wool Museum in Geelong. For her first project in this position, Josephine has led the We The Makers Sustainable Fashion Prize, which supports authentic design, material consciousness, and sustainable ethical practice. It's the only sustainable fashion prize in Australia for emerging designers with less than 10 years of industry experience. It challenges entrants to create one original outfit that represents their personal design aesthetic, showcasing their commitment to sustainable fashion. Before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded on the unceded lands of the Woiwurrung and Boomerang language groups of the Eastern Kulin Nation. We pay our deep respect to First Nations elders past and present and to any Indigenous listeners tuning in. Thank you so much, Josephine, for coming in and joining us today. It's really wonderful to have this opportunity to chat. I thought to begin with, I might just ask you to tell us a little bit about the National Wool Museum and your role there. Thank you so much for having me. I'd also like to acknowledge the Wadarang traditional owners of Geelong, in which the National Wool Museum is placed. So yeah, the museum was first built in 1872 as one of the first wool stores in Australia at a time where Geelong was the kind of wool capital of the world. And so the museum really tells the story of Australian wool, fibre, textiles, looking at the kind of industry and science behind wool, but also it as a fashion material as well. And we're actually really in a kind of transitional phase at the moment as the museum has just had its 30-year vision endorsed by the Geelong City Council. Uh, So this gives us the kind of remit to expand beyond just the story of wool so that we can really tell the stories of First Nations, particularly the Wadarang traditional owners of Geelong, and really look at, you know, kind of 60,000 years of human endeavour and industry on that site of land. So my role as senior curator is kind of really looking at what this kind of new vision and strategy for the museum is going to be, whilst, you know, kind of implementing that through our temporary exhibition programs and also maintenance of our kind of more permanent galleries and public programs. Yeah, amazing. That's so exciting. It is a, a remarkable building. When I visited, you know, the Blue Stone, it's very kind of imposing on it's that It sure is. <laughs> yeah, it's a really incredible building. But yes, as you say, a deeply kind of Victorian mm-hmm. industrial building. So certainly for some of our visitors, it's actually not a welcoming yeah, I can site say that. Yeah. at all, particularly when, you know, there's kind of knowledge that it's on a very important waterway for mm. Wadarang people. Oh, wow. So it's actually always been, you know, a really important site for meeting mm-hmm. and, yeah, now as a museum, which mm. is still a great site for meeting and exchanging of ideas 
and really what we hope it will continue to be with our future vision. And part of this is really developing on from Geelong's designation as a mm. UNESCO city of design. Yeah. So really looking at not only the kind of heritage of the area, but its kind of future in terms of kind of sustainable making design and industry. Yeah, fantastic. Well, the temporary exhibition that you have on at the moment, which is of particular interest to us, is the We The Makers Sustainable Fashion Prize, um, which showcases the designs of the 20 award finalists. Yes. Can you tell us about the prize and what it really celebrates? So yeah, it's a prize for emerging designers with kind of less than 10 years industry Mm -hmm. experience. And we kind of put that because A lot of prizes are for students and we know how difficult it really is to establish yourself in the fashion industry. It can take a really long time. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think 10 years in career terms is actually not that long, long. (laughs) especially not when the past three years you know, don't really care. <laughs> exactly. If we can just wipe them yeah. from the calendar. So we were kind of looking, you know, what what are reasonable parameters? And we thought, well, if you've been in the business for more than 10 years, you're pretty well established now. Mm-hmm. But it's open to anyone in the world. So mm-hmm. it's an international prize and it's $10,000. So yeah. it's, it's very... It's significant. It's a significant prize. It's really a prize to help someone kind of establish themselves, mm-hmm. get a foothold in the industry because it often is just that kind of cash flow that's the real challenge for young designers. Yeah, absolutely. It's a major hurdle that we hear Mm. about a lot. Yeah. And I saw when I visited that there's designers from all around the world. Yeah. We were really lucky to be able to work with our colleagues in the UNESCO City of Design team. So it's a a wonderful global network we were able to tap into and we did indeed get at least one of the finalists is from a fellow UNESCO City of Design. Yeah, so that's uh, Vida Strasvikute from Kaunas in Lithuania. Amazing. Yeah, and then our other international finalists are Ito Gakukai from Japan. He's actually a graduate from the Bunker Fashion College, which is the leading fashion school in Japan. Then we had Elise Yusuf from London in the UK and Stephen Janelle Park from Ototahi in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Yeah, amazing. And then lots of incredible talent from Australia too. Yeah, it was a really wonderful mix actually. And I was really kind of overwhelmed by just, you know, the high quality. Mm. It was, I must say, really difficult to narrow it down to 20. (laughs) I could have done that exhibition. (laughs) Far more, far more finalists. Were you the one who shortlisted them? And then it was the... The three judges yes. awarded the prize. From so the we did the shortlisting internally, mm-hmm. and then the final decision was made by our three judges, who are external, and they were the ones who made the kind of decision. Final decision. So we had three really brilliant judges. We had your My colleague, colleague. <laughs> Dr. Ricardo Bigelin mm-hmm. from RMIT, Associate Dean yes. of Fashion and Textiles. So a really great person who has that really strong academic and, you know, industry kind of mm, knowledge absolutely. Of, of the topic. Then we had Benjamin Norsworthy, who is based in London, and he was our kind of international right, okay. judge. And he has worked in the sustainable fashion sector for over a decade. He is the co-founder of Bendy, which is an AI kind of program that really measures how sustainable uh, companies are. Mm. 
And previously, he worked for the Global Fashion Agenda and was the sustainability officer for Burberry. So he's got a lot of industry experience and really understands all the different facets of sustainable fashion because, of course, it's a a really broad, difficult to define Mm -hmm. term because there's no one singular definition. And so it was really good to have him and have a totally kind of outside perspective, Mm. someone who wouldn't necessarily know who any of these Mm. designers are. And then finally, we had Dr. Christian Thompson AO, one of Australia's leading artists who works a lot to kind of explore his own Indigenous identity, but also his heritage as Irish Chinese and uh, someone who's worked a lot with fashion in his image making Mm. and really is a multidisciplinary artist, you know, and he really um, was great, again, at coming from a slightly different perspective because fashion can be very insular and particularly, you know, in a quite small place like here, it can be a bit too insular sometimes. Mm. So I thought it was good to have that kind of mix, that kind of balance. Yeah. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that winning design. So obviously this is an audio medium as well, so we can try and describe (laughs) what these look like as well. So the winning design is by an RMIT graduate, Kenwen Chow. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about Kenwen's work, maybe describe it and talk us through why she was awarded the prize. Yeah, I mean, what really drew me to her work and I imagine this is what also appealed to the judges, was her kind of, her combination of, you know, looking at her Chinese heritage and particularly kind of historic Chinese dress styles and really kind of taking that, combining kind of Taoist cosmology, Mm -hmm. which really informed her work, but then really with this futuristic focus. So it's, it's taking these kind of references, but creating a completely new kind of look Mm. that's really thinking toward a future in which, you know, are we even going to be able to have any part of our body exposed to the sun? Mm. The work itself is uh, this hooded garment with long sleeves and it's in kind of bright, bright yellow, Mm. kind of an imperial yellow, as I say, kind of referencing historic Chinese dragon robes in terms of that colour, also the kind of construction of being quite robe-like with kind of toggle fastenings. And what she's actually made it of is she's combined a kind of yellow and white print kind of summer dress, kind of stereotypically summer dress, with a a towel, like this toweling fabric that's kind of a similar pattern and colorway. So what I really like about it is it's kind of taking these kind of typical Australian summer (laughs) garments and textiles and then transforming them into a garment in which, you know, potentially summers here will be incredibly dangerous. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's that kind of perspective, that kind of protective element of the garment that I think is really exciting. And then also the transformative element. So it has a hood that can then be zipped up to kind of form almost like a backpack on the back or a cape 
And then it also can be completely folded up into a bag. So it's this idea that it can be, you know, multiple different garments or even objects. Yeah. And it looks so wearable too. It really does. It yeah. Does. No, it, it does look incredibly wearable and, and quite comfortable yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we have a great range of different types of approaches to fashion in the exhibition from the kind of more practical and wearable mm-hmm. to the really avant-garde. But I think what was really guiding our selection process was, you know, is this a kind of or style we just haven't really seen before? Mm. Because the reality is no more clothes need to ever be made. <laughs> so I think if you are going to make something, it really does need to be, you know, as unique as possible. Yeah, absolutely. It looked innovative and new yeah. whilst also being very familiar exactly. as well. I thought maybe we could talk about another couple of pieces yeah, and then maybe discuss some of the broader themes that came out, particularly around materials mm. and around construction techniques, which I thought were really innovative. Mm. So the one next to Cam Wan Chow's piece is an exceptional work by mm-hmm. the Korean New Zealander who you mentioned earlier, Stephen Janelle Park of yes. 654. So the ensemble includes a jacket made from antique. Blankets. Um, Blankets? Yes. Yes, wool blankets. Wool blankets. Which is very appropriate yeah, for the I know. museum. <laughs> um, a gorgeous patchwork skirt, skirt and then also some shoes that he's made mm-hmm. using ash from a fallen tree in Hagley Park in Otutahi (laughs) and some recycled upholstery leather, like remarkable work. Mm. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about Stephen's approach to design and to making, which I know you know a little bit about. Absolutely. And how it kind of fit into the criteria of the competition. So Stephen is just an incredible maker. Like he Mm. really can make almost anything. As you mentioned, he made the shoes. They're amazing. (laughs) They're amazing. (laughs) He made the shoes and, and exactly, it's his approach to materials and and really deep understanding of materials, which makes him so appropriate for this exhibition. So his approach is that he only sources things around him. You know, he doesn't believe that you ever need to buy new fabric. Everything is is recycled. And even sourcing things like, you know, the ash wood from Mm. a senile tree that had been felled Mm -hmm. in the local park or the fact that you know the linen blouse is dyed with walnuts from his garden he's very much uh you know he's incredibly resourceful Mm. and really his attention to detail is incredible and that really slow approach to fashion so the jacket which we mentioned which is made of all these different colored Mm. blankets is actually inspired by this Korean technique, jogakpo, oh, really? uh, which is a Korean patchworking technique. Oh, um, and so the, it's this wonderful reference to his heritage as well, but also referencing, you know, a time and an approach to textiles that we <laughs> so deeply need to <laughs> embrace ourselves when textiles were highly valued and really precious and, you know, every scrap was used. And so it's, you know, kind of remembering that the problems we now face in terms of fast fashion are very new. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. actually really, really recent yes. and new problems. And so, yeah, his piece is very much exemplifying what We The Makers is all mm. about. Yeah. Beautiful. 
Another standout design for me was the Hemlock three-piece yeah, suit. Yeah, I love that. Um, made from Prince of Wales Superfine Merino and Deadstock Tencel by Amy Fords and Caitlin mm-hmm. Mullally from Brunswick-based Vales of Cirrus. And I must admit that Caitlin and Amy are ex-students of mine. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not just saying no. this because they're fabulous. But anyway. <laughs> it's a really beautiful piece. Yes, exactly. It's a beautiful ensemble, but I was really struck by the quality, the craftsmanship. <gasps> Absolutely. Um, yeah, can you tell us a bit yeah, more about it? Some I mean, of the it's this stunningly tailored three-piece suit um, with matching hat. Again, it's gorgeous. I was really impressed with people adding accessories. Yes, in, there were a lot of <laughs> which yeah, was, the shoes, the hats, yeah, the bags. They're really thinking about the entire ensemble. So it's this beautifully tailored three-piece suit. And what particularly drew, you know, it's it's not just the tailoring or or the fact that you know the design is slightly deconstructed, so it's not a kind of traditional mm. suit. It looks very very kind of fresh. But what really kind of drew me to it was the kind of collaborative aspects of this suit and the fact that kind of almost every detail had a story. Yes. So it has this lining that's visible in different parts, and they've actually woodblock printed that. Oh, the uh, lining. The lining oh, okay. is woodblock printed. Um, they were inspired by Japanese ukiyo-e prints. And then the design was actually created by a local tattoo artist. Oh, wow. And then the the button on the jacket is made from an old aluminium can by a local jeweler. Mm-hmm. And then even like, you know, the glass beads are by a local glass blower. So it's this idea of really working with other fellow local artisans Mm. and again that kind of very slow but considered approach to fashion and I also really liked the obviously art historical references but also fashion history references so like the fact that the side skirt is inspired by the skirts that women wore when riding side saddle so it's such an exciting piece and has all these different layers of meaning and and yet still so modern as well. Yeah, exactly. It, and beautifully made. Beautifully made, but such a rich text for storytelling. Yeah. And that's really what slow fashion is about. Mm. It's about, you know, not only putting all of this care and consideration into making the garments, but making things that people will want to have. Exactly. And, and wear to wear. Forever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that can be worn yeah. forever. Exactly. Of exactly. being of a quality where that's possible. Yeah, and to be repaired and to yeah. be taken care of and all those sorts of things, which really, again, feeds into this whole idea of sustainability, mm-hmm. which, as you say, there's not a clear... No single definition. Single definition. Yeah, mm. and that's also what we're thinking about in the selection process, was trying to show these different approaches because, you know, in kind of complete contrast is the work of Kate VM Sylvester, who has made this gown out it's of amazing. two oh my t-shirts. Gosh, it's amazing. And when you think that these are two t-shirts, kind of standard, fast fashion, disposable t-shirts, and she has very, very carefully over, I think, 70 hours, oh kind of loosened the weave of the threads so that she's kind of deconstructed it. And shown just how much fibre mm-hmm. is in one disposable garment. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's so beautiful, actually. I spent a lot of time looking at that garment. I just could not believe that I it know. was made of two T-shirts. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you have the video there. And yeah. it's so gorgeous to see it worn exactly. as well. Exactly. It's so sort of ethereal. It's like it's cobwebs. Like cobwebs. Yeah. I know. I had the same thing because also, you know, it looks so fragile. 
but it's actually a little bit more robust oh, than really? you'd imagine. Okay, yeah, like it it's kind of, you know, yeah. Amazing. And it was interesting with Ben, the, the international judge, you know, obviously he couldn't see these things in person, so we had to, you know, give uh, kind of video tours and he just kept on saying, is that really I know. what I think it is? <laughs> it and is it's hard like, to it believe. Is. Yeah. And it's amazing how she's kept the neckline, the collar, yeah, some of the and cut- some of the other bits that you can see, oh, that's a T-shirt. It just it's kind of messes with your mind. I know, so and I love the just complete reversal of, you know, it, this is something that would have been made so quickly mm-hmm. and discarded so quickly. Yes. And through her labour and mm-hmm. her care has become this incredible piece. So, yeah, these different approaches are really, really exciting. Or, you know, so four of the kind of categories we really looked at were design, is it doing something really exciting with design and are they using the design to kind of solve, you know, certain problems? Okay. Uh, materiality, uh, you know, how well do they really understand the materials they're using? Have they thought about them? Have they used them in a way that, you know, is most sympathetic to that material? Mm-hmm. And then circularity, so have they really thought about the kind of full lifespan of this garment and their making process as well? And then business. And mm-hmm. business, of course, is one of the most difficult ones because uh, one could argue <laughs> that it's absolutely impossible for yeah. fashion <laughs> as a business to ever be sustainable. But, you know, some people are doing really interesting things working with businesses. So it's kind of that idea of, you know, as designers and creatives, can their design thinking actually work within the system mm, to yeah. help solve it as well? That's so interesting and interesting to hear about those four categories because one of the things that really struck me was that Mm. point about materiality. Yes. Because there's such a diversity in terms of the materials that are being used from kind of natural materials like raffia to the, you know, recycled or found materials. There's an incredible kind of quite spooky gothic bridal gown. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, But then also an incredible woven piece using... Old T-shirts and electrical electrical wires. And even like, you know, an old computer mouse hanging from a bag. Yeah, Yeah, it was amazing. I'm always a little bit wary of having too many unconventional Mm -hmm. materials because... We were thinking about the wearability exactly. of the garment. And you're trying to strike that balance exactly. as well, especially when you think about those four criteria. Yeah. It's like, well, the, the commercial is still there. Yeah. So, And, you know, also a lot of materials aren't used in fashion because they're not practical. They're exactly. not suited for that function. So I was kind of mindful of this. But what I really liked about Lily's, and I think mm. what makes it work uh, so well, is it is still a very wearable it piece, is. even with the electrical wires. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but when you actually think of it, we wear electrical wires all the time. Mm. You know, there's a pair of headphones mm-hmm. in there. And actually, electrical devices, we've been wearing them for decades now. Yeah, like an extension of our body. Of ourselves, <laughs> yeah. And also the idea that, you know, this electrical waste is also growing so much, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has that draw of dead oh cables <laughs> and don't know what to do exactly. with it. So I love the idea that she was weaving mm. um, with this. So, yeah, I think where we did include, you know, pieces with unconventional materials, it was where it was still very, very kind of carefully considered and included in in the garment. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's an interesting point too, jumping off of Lily's work, is mm. that the other thing that struck me was this variety of construction methods. Techniques. You know, yeah. we've talked about a couple of those pieces that have that very exquisite tailoring, but there was also Lily's weaving. Yeah. There was the weaving of the raffia. There was Jasmine Sky Marinos's beautiful which is so piece. beautiful. Yeah. And then there was, you know, layering of work. There was some incredible quilting. Yep. Yeah. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the variety of construction. Well, that's the other thing that we wanted to showcase is, you know, there are so many incredible techniques used to make our clothes and and often we're not even conscious mm. of that because we're so detached from the making mm-hmm. process. So to really highlight those, and particularly when you're in a building that actually still has all this machinery and, you know, was once part of this thriving textile industry. So, you know, right in the centre of the museum we have a 1910 Jacquard loom. So I love the idea that, you know, you could see weaving in these garments, looking at uh, Jasmine Sky Marinos's raffia woven garment, which is all done by hand, it's gorgeous. using wadadong techniques and thinking, you know, weaving is one of the kind of oldest textile techniques there is. Mm-hmm. You can go from that and then see, you know, the great industrial, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, transformation yeah. <laughs> of, of the weaving process. So it was thinking of, you know, things that would resonate with mm. the museum and our collection, but also, you know, thinking of how some of these techniques have solved certain problems. So one of my, uh, two of my favorites actually, because I didn't realize they were both kind of using a similar technique, Ajeda Balu's and Elise Youssef's work where they've actually used textile scraps as the wadding for these garments that have been quilted and I find that really fascinating because for a lot of things like these quilted jackets they're really just using brand new polyester Mm -hmm. wadding and it's invisible yeah it's not even piece with the lace yeah with the lace so you can it's so beautiful so it's that that thing of she's not only thinking of how to make the wadding more sustainable but actually make these different colors and different patterns a feature of the mm. garment so something that's usually invisible and then by using the the mesh lace as the overlay so it's, it's then gorgeous. visible it's just incredible and then Elise Yusuf again I think you know both of them are speaking to kind of the way the industry is so good at hiding hiding its mess and Elise Yusuf uh, who's based in London is particularly inspired by the constant changing of the landscape through architecture and how much waste that as another industry mm-hmm. produces so she was really kind of salvaging some of this architectural yeah, waste amazing. material and then also I like that you um, mentioned Lazarus's piece, The Bride, which is made yeah. <laughs> of all these old doilies and lace curtains. Quite but, spooky. <laughs> really spooky. Definitely. Especially uh, with the, the ram's skull yes, on the top. Definitely inspired by McQueen mm, um, yeah. in its gothic sensibility. And that's really kind of thinking of how so much of the waste that we have now is, you know, from changing fashions and tastes. And in that case, you know, the kind of death of the doily <laughs> in interior design. And, you know, apparently whenever they went to op shops and said, I'm looking for lace, you know, the people would be so happy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because they've got them. <laughs> and they're, they're overloaded with, you know, this domestic textile that they just cannot. Their value is like. It's gone. Gone. And gone. such care and attention was put into making them and you see them and you go where would I even put that I know it's just it's over it's amazing 
Yeah, well, there may be a future in which the doily returns. There may but be. Not, I can't see it. <laughs> Justice for the doily. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but even thinking, you know, it's not just the fashion industry that's producing the exactly. textile waste, but mm. also interiors. And interior design is now kind of moving at a similar rate mm-hmm. to fashion, which is scary as well. Yeah. In terms of. Yeah, the production the of production waste. waste. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, it, it's amazing. It's really astounding the the levels of innovation and, and creativity on display. Now, of course, you've played a really leading role in this competition and the curation of this show, but your expertise is not sustainability per se. I wonder if you can tell us just a little bit, you know, going back to you mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. your own career and what's kind of led you to the National Wool Museum and what kind of excites you about the opportunities, especially given what you're talking about in terms of Mm. this new vision for the institution? Yeah. So I recently moved, as I said. I lived in London for 12 years and for eight of those I was at the Victorian Albert Museum, first as an assistant curator and then as, as curator. And I was actually in the Asian department working particularly in the Japanese section with a particular specialism in Japanese textiles Mm, and fashion. And so my kind of biggest project whilst there was working on the Kimono Kyoto to Catwalk exhibition. And that was an incredible project that, again, opened in 2020. (laughs) Oh, no, not 2020 again. (laughs) We opened two weeks before the UK went into lockdown. So, yeah, that's really my background. It's kind Mm -hmm. of in Japanese fashion and textiles. But interestingly, actually, I did my MA in London as well at the Royal College of Art. Mm -hmm. And my thesis was actually looking at the introduction of woolen suiting in Japan. Yes. And then the development of the kind of uniform industry. Mm. Oh, how amazing. So So it does kind of go back to wool. Yeah. Well, interestingly, in the museum, there's the million dollar bale. There is indeed, which was sold to to Aoki International. Amazing. Yes. And actually, I'm working on a project based on that because the million dollar bale was sold in 1995. Mm -hmm. And so we are coming up to 30, 30 years. years. Oh, so exciting. That's something I'm really excited to look at because Japan was one of the major buyers of Australian wool and still still is. Mm. And actually, there's a lot of great expertise in this area in Australia. Yeah. So I'm trying to put together a kind of research network to Amazing. look oh, into that with Sarah Teasley, another okay. one of your colleagues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. Um, yeah, so... That is uh, something I'm really excited to look into. And yeah, really, I think what excited me about this position was the idea to be able to expand the remit, but that it is a museum that is based on fibre and textiles Mm. and industry and making. And that was really, really interesting and particularly, you know, really putting First Nations first and the work that they've been doing, particularly last year, they had a stunning exhibition with Dr. Dean Gilson. Yeah, I saw some images uh, of that. Wadaranga, which was a really powerful kind of statement in terms of the direction that the museum's going in. I'm excited to kind of explore kind of more Geelong stories yeah. and and really expand the scope 
whilst remaining true to fibre and textiles as the kind of core of the museum's mission. Yeah, excellent. And having been a recent arrival to Melbourne, (laughs) this season of the podcast is all about celebrating the fashion community in all its diversity um, Mm -hmm. here in Victoria. So I wonder, since making Victoria your home, what have you found here that most inspires you? It's been really exciting. Good. Yeah, no, it's been great. Obviously, having been a fairly regular visitor to Nam, I always remember coming here for shopping trips. Yeah. <laughs> back when you couldn't buy things online and back when, you know, you were limited to mm. what was in the shops in your hometown. So I have fond memories of kind of saving up and going shopping here. But I've actually just been really excited to see just how vibrant and dynamic the fashion kind of scene is here, both in terms of the kind of industry, but also research Mm -hmm. and how much people are really engaged with it here. And I think thinking critically Mm -hmm. about fashion and I think what kind of perhaps, you know, it's just I love watching what people wear. Yeah. <laughs> and I've people been watching. great yeah. people watching. And, you know, I think what's been great is kind of arriving just as people really are going out again. Yeah. And being able to see what people are, you know, they're really putting a lot of effort into their looks. But I think one of the most interesting differences between the fashion scene here and the UK is the real potential here. And I see a lot of action towards it to truly kind of look at to decolonizing mm. fashion. And that's something I really didn't see mm-hmm. happening there. or it, It's it not would top t- of mind at all. At all. So it's been really great to see that and see the incredible work of Indigenous mm. designers and fashion being celebrated. Yeah, absolutely. Here. And that's what I'm really excited to see. Amazing, amazing. And, yeah, and see that develop and flourish. Yeah, yeah, me too. And finally, I mean, you've already given us a wee sneak peek mm. into this potential yeah. million-dollar bail project. But are there- By the way, if anyone has a million-dollar yeah. bail story, please, please okay. come to me. We'll put the shout out. <laughs> are there any other exciting projects at the museum that we should be keeping our eyes out yeah. for? Yeah, so we're actually just about to open Art Quilt, okay. which is one of the biggest Art Quilt prizes and exhibitions. Oh, incredible. Um, so Art Quilt Australia is opening 11th of August. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we've got some very exciting things yeah, I'm to sure look they're all under into. Wraps. <laughs> uh, we're going beyond fashion, hopefully more into lots of other aspects of design, including furniture, because oh, furniture cool. is another great industry of Geelong. Thank you so much, Josephine, for joining us today. It's been wonderful to get these insights into the Sustainable Fashion Prize and the beautiful work of the shortlisted designers. I feel so excited about the impact they'll all have on the future of sustainable fashion. To all our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you're interested in the Sustainable Fashion Prize, you can visit the exhibition at the National Wool Museum in Geelong. It's on until the 29th of October. You can also visit the museum website and Instagram page for more details. We'll include all those links in our show notes. If you're loving this season of the Critical Fashion Studies podcast, I invite you to join us for the next episode when I'll be talking to the co-founder of Hatch and Make, Kiri Mae Sampson, about revitalising Australia's knitwear industry. I also encourage you to subscribe to the series in your podcast app so you never miss an episode. 
As ever, a big thank you to Creative Victoria for their generous support. Thomas Phillips for audio engineering and co-production, Sanam Goodman for social media expertise, and Hugh Coldwell-Ross for our logo. See you next time.